Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Reconstructing Inclusion podcast. Also, if you haven't bought Reconstructing Inclusion, Making DEI Accessible, Actionable, and Sustainable, my book, please pick it up. We also have a Substack now under the name Reconstructing Inclusion. I'll be putting more content on that Substack before you know it. Hi, Amri here. I wanted to add a couple things before you listen to the episode with my mother, Dr. Harriet Johnson. It was such a delight to have my mother on the podcast. I, I look forward to interviewing her some more because I, I really want to have a family history. I encourage all of you to interview your parents, particularly as they get a little older. There's so much richness and, and the, the, regardless of what your relationship might be, you're going to learn a lot about them. You're going to learn a lot about your family history. You're going to learn a lot about yourself and uh, do it more than once. Um, some things might be, might be repeated, but I think it's worthwhile and I wish I would have done it with my dad and I'm going to look to do it with some of my other relatives. A couple of things that my mother and I didn't talk about that you, you can pay attention to. One, we never talked about racism as a barrier. Not one time in my life did my parents talk about racism as a barrier. My dad went through some crazy stuff, people trying to sabotage him, et cetera. The other thing we didn't talk about was desegregation in Kansas. Obviously, desegregation happened because of, of a court case that was based on Topeka, Kansas, Brown versus the Board of Education. But my mother did not have the same experience as my father even integrating in Topeka. She didn't have that dehumanizing impact. And I often think about what if we created the conditions where we didn't have to always talk about the dehumanizing impact of racism. Of course, we want to know history. But my mother didn't experience it. She didn't transfer that notion to me. And it made a big impact or in, had a big influence on me and the perspective I have about the work even of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So as you listen, really reflect. My mother's 82 years old. She's lived in Topeka her whole life. She had a really tremendous experience while she was here in Switzerland. We went to France. We went to Germany. And her perspective, her wisdom, her life experience is very different than a lot of people's. But in a way, consider what her experience tells you about the breadth of who humans are, and even in the time that she grew up in the United States. So enjoy, and thank you again for tuning in to the Reconstructing Inclusion podcast. Welcome to a special edition of the Reconstructing Inclusion podcast. I'm Omri Johnson, your host, and I'm here with my mother, Dr. Harriet Johnson. She is not on camera, so I don't know if we take any clips of her. I'll try to move the, the microphone so you can see her face a little bit more. But this is a special edition because she's actually here in my home my family home visiting us for the holidays. So I'm actually able to interview her in person. I'm anticipating that this is the first of um, other interviews that I'll do with her, but I know with this one, we'll get the technology right and we'll be able to make it work. So welcome Dr. Harriet. Thank you. <laughs> now, um, I, call my mother by her first name. So some of you that hear that will 
based on where you were raised, you might be a bit surprised. So as I'm calling her Harriet, know that she's okay with it. Can you tell him that you're okay with me calling you Harriet? I told you to call me Harriet when you were three years old. Three? Yes. Oh, I thought I was much older. No, you were three years old. I said, do not call me mother. Call me Harriet. Okay. She never did that for my brother. So no, I, have, I didn't. I have issues, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. So Harriet, we start all of our podcasts with a couple questions. The first question is a favorite book or movie that you go to over and over again, or that you've read or watched multiple times. Okay. The favorite book or movie? Mm-hmm. You're probably going to, because I have certain authors that I read a lot of, but the book that's been the most inspirational in my life has been the Bible. Okay. I was raised in a Christian home and the Bible was uh, the word. And so there, especially the Psalms, I, I get such comfort from the Psalms and uh, yeah. Okay. You want me to tell you about my movie? You can tell about a movie, too. Well, you know, and it's coming out again, The Color Purple. Hmm. I think The Color Purple showed me things that I never grew up with. Hmm. And I love history. And so even fiction, nonfiction books or or movies that that showed a lot of history, those are the things that I enjoy. Okay. So you, but the, but the per- color purple was a black book, Harry. What do you mean you've never seen those things? You're black. So I, I didn't know the kinds of stuff that happened in the color purple. I grew up on a farm. Mm-hmm. That well, was on a farm too. Yeah. And that was on a farm, yeah. but it was a different kind of farm. But, and, and it, I was sheltered. We were sheltered. I had older sisters that were sheltered. And then when I came along and I had the only boy in the family, he was my twin, we were really sheltered. So a lot of things that Black people, quote, consider life, I don't consider it. Like my positive, my mother, when I'd say things about people of other cultures, my mother would, I said, now why in the world did that happen? My mother would say, look in the mirror. Hmm. But she never said, you're Black or you color or Another thing she would always say, when I would come home telling her about something that happened, she would say, what did the person look like? And I said, Nancy, which was my sister, was three years older than I, and my mother never commented on it. My parents never, we were just sheltered. So a lot of stuff, I'm just now learning at 100 years old. You're not 100. (laughs) I tell everybody I'm 100 years old. I tell everybody I'm 100 years old. She probably will live to 100, but she's she's not quite there yet. What about a person or people who have inspired or influenced you? My mother. Your mother? My grandmother? Your grandmother and your grandparents. My mother and dad picked who we chose for friends and picked where we went and who we went with. And when we went someplace, like even with the cousin, my mother would say, you have a certain time and you have to come back with the same person you're left with. Hmm. My dad would always say, if we would talk about something uh, that we didn't like, he'd say, it'll change in 30 days. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. It took a, a, yeah. a month 
uh, for things to change several weeks. And so he was right about that. And then my mother, like I said, she would just tell us certain things at certain times when we'd ask questions and she'd make us think about it. And my dad did that too. It was just so just, what do they call it? Discombobulating. <laughs> you know, we had to figure things out. And then when I said, well, so-and-so, yeah. My, they would say, yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah. That sounds familiar. <laughs> well, as I got older, a, a good thing that happened. When I went to K-State, although they had talked to me on the phone, when I went to K-State and I was sitting down waiting to get into my room in the, in the dorm, the lady over the dorm came and said, well, you, you know, we need you to wait just about an hour. And I'm going, really? And what I found out later was that they had moved the, the RA, which is called the, re, the residential assistant. assistant, from her single-person room to another room with, with two other women and gave me the single room because of the color of my skin. And see, I never understood that. And so my mother went to Montgomery Wards and bought everything coordinated. Montgomery Wards was the most famous I, I was, know what, uh, the department store at the time. And the yeah. kids just, the kids thought, oh, she must be rich. Mm. But my mother knew how to make me feel good and how to make anybody that came in my presence feel good. Mm. So you know what people did? They, they came, came in my room because it was big, too, <laughs> and, and yeah, nice. Yeah. It was nice. So that was in, what year was that, Harriet? Was that <laughs> 1959? Yeah. At Kansas State University. Mm -hmm. So. There were so all the black people at Kansas State lived with other black people. There was only four of us, <laughs> <laughs> and one became my sister-in-law, and one was a dietitian, became my friend, and the other one was the daughter of Reverend. Hmm, can't think of his name right now. He used to be the pastor at Shiloh. But it was four. Yeah. Okay. It was four of us. I mean, there were four black women at K-State when I went there. Wow. So, so let's stay on there. You went to Kansas State University. Of the schools that are the most well-known in the U.S. in Kansas, Kansas State is number two. I'm just kidding. So my mother is number one, but the other one is the University of Kansas, and that's who I root for in sports. Well, I do too, but yeah. I root for K-State Kansas State too. first. If it's the yeah. match between the two, she always goes for, for K-State. So you went to Kansas State for undergraduate, for your bachelor's degree. What did you do your bachelor's degree in? Secondary education, speech and English. Okay, speech and English. Mm -hmm. And then you stayed there and you got a... A master's in speech pathology okay. and hearing. Okay. And then you decided to get a PhD yes, later. In early childhood. Well, but you waited a while. I had kids. Oh. I guess I was one of them. Yeah, and you were the one that told the neighbors when I'm going working working my job and, and going to K State at night, you were the one that told the neighbors that I was the babysitter your dad had hired. And that's the reason why you became a stepchild. Please. And I told you to call me Barry. <laughs> so you were going from Topeka to Manhattan. How long is a, a drive is that? Oh, it's about, oh, about 45, 50 minutes. So you were driving that how frequently? 
every week, once a week. I spent a little time in Kansas State and in Manhattan, Kansas as well, I think. Is that right? No. You never took me? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I took you some. Yeah, I left you in the union and you went with me some evenings. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so you did your PhD in early childhood development, and then after that, because you were already you had been working for a while as a speech pathologist, right? But you did some other things in between being a speech pathologist, and then later in your career, I remember you built a preschool. I had a preschool for the church. We built a new church, and the pastor said he wanted a preschool, so I took a leave of absence from my job and opened up the preschool. What was it called? You know what? I can't remember that. Oh, it was called the the learning tree. What was, do you remember why it was called the learning tree? No. I, I, I remember there was a book called, called the, the learning, learning tree, tree and then right. it t- was turned into a movie. Right. It was a black movie. Okay. Yes, it was. I have to look that up. So we'll put that in the so show we'll notes. Sure. But right. I, I actually didn't get a chance to look it up before we spoke, but I thought about that. I remember even in college, maybe even later, I found that movie because I'd mm. never seen it when I was young. Mm. Really, really profound film, if I can recall. So you built the the daycare and then you went back to school system. It was called a preschool. Preschool. Not okay. a daycare. Sorry, it's a preschool. Why, why did we make that distinction? Because it was all about learning. Mm-hmm. It was all about kids learning to make decisions at a younger age. And it was all about learning. It w- really wasn't a daycare because you didn't get a nap. Look, you came to learn mm-hmm. and to learn how to make decisions. And kids did that. I mean, in the morning we, when they got there, we went to a planning a room that we had just for planning individually. And they got a chance to plan what they were going to do for the four hours that they were there. And uh, and if you didn't like what you planned to do, you had to go back to the planning room and change it. And so then you went back to the school system mm-hmm. as a speech pathologist. And was did you start your PhD right after that? Or how... I had been working on my PhD. You've been working on it simultaneously. Yeah. And then after you finished your PhD, you did a bit of a career shift. I went into administration, which I really didn't want to do. Why not? Well, I explained to the superintendent when he asked me about taking a job as an administrator. I said, if I'm going to be treated like what I've seen, it's not something I want. Mm. I said, it's like a bologna sandwich. I said, have you ever had a good bologna sandwich? You know, with the mayonnaise and the tomatoes and the lettuce. Mm -hmm. But if the bread is soggy on the top and soggy on the bottom, it's not a good sandwich. Mm. And I said, and that's what happens. Parents beat you up on the bottom, and at the top administration beat you up at the top. And so right in the middle, the good stuff is right in the middle, which would be me. But I'm being hit on both sides of my sandwich, so it can't be a very good sandwich. And then what was the response? He said, I've never heard of anything like that. Where do you want to start? <laughs> well, I can't start when you want me to start because I'm running a camp. And I've got 50 kids in this camp, and I've got to get this camp over, and then we can talk again about it. So you, he knew that he that you didn't want to be a bad bologna sandwich, be in the middle right. of a bad bologna sandwich. Yeah, right. And 
Was that your experience? Did you have a good experience? I had watched that. No, that hadn't happened to me because I'd have told her the the one thing that had happened to me, I had a supervisor one time that uh, he really wasn't my supervisor and he didn't, did not know what he was doing. And he came to me and I had done something and he said, Harriet, I don't like what you had done. I said, I did it because of the kids and I do it again. And I said, and if he ever come to me, something that I did that you felt that it was wrong, I will immediately resign and file charges against you. Or he thought it was wrong. And I forgot what it was, something I had done for a, for a group of kids. And these were kids. But he didn't come and ask you. Just no, automatically. no, he just yeah. automatically. Yeah. And I have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. If you haven't looked at what I have done and even talked with the person that you say this happened to. Then don't come to me. And I had seen that happen, and I thought, it's not going to happen to me once I become a principal. You are not going to beat me up at the top and beat me up at the bottom. And let me tell you, when I was an elementary principal, the food was not good (laughs) that they were feeding the kids. And so one day, they ran out of food before my sixth graders got a chance to eat. Mm. And And they sent this leftover stuff. And the kids kind of looked at it, and I said to my uh, workers in the kitchen, throw it in the trash. And I went to McDonald's and bought 60 dinners for my kids. And they didn't like that. And I said, I didn't use your money. I used my money Mm. and bought them food because they had to be at school for another two and a half hours. And so I'm going to let my kids go hungry. It's not going to happen on my watch. I don't hear about those things happening these days. So you did an elementary principal mm-hmm. and then you went to, did you do middle school as well? I refused to do middle school. I didn't I, even I, like them. I, I was a middle school teacher for a little while when I'm after college. It's the hardest job. It's the hardest job in the whole world. Yeah, it's so hard. I've forgotten a bunch of hormonal little kids that think that they're grown. But then you went to high school. Right. As and, an assistant uh, principal. I was in high school then. I was really scared you were going to come to Topeka High School. I know. But, That's the only one I didn't go to. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> that would have been hard. But you went to to two schools in Topeka. Um, Holland Park first, right? Right. And then Topeka West. And Holland Park was a predominantly black school. Then. Then, yeah. yeah. Was it, were the schools different in the way that you worked with the, with the students and the staff? The difference in the schools were... At that time, Topeka West was was the school where the people that had money and education uh, sent their kids. The difference was, at Topeka West, the parents talk. The parents would say their kids were always right, mm. even though they were wrong, even though I had to send some home because they had smoked too much weed couldn't get up. I mean, Topeka West, I had to go to school, knock on the door, said, are you coming to school today? Get up, take, wash yourself up. I'm taking you to back to school. You know, the parents always took up for the kids. Mm-hmm. And at Highland Park, the parents didn't take up for the kids. They would say, let's get together and we'll look, we'll look at this whole situation together. Mm-hmm. And then they would make the kids apologize to me for what they had done. Well, but and then there were, you know, some kids, some parents that said, you know, my kid was right, you were wrong. Mm. But those parents came back and apologized. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you went to those two schools and then you decided that you would retire from being a principal. No. What happened? Because you stopped eventually. I had a principal come to Topeka West that I had worked with when I was an elementary principal. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the way he treated kids. I didn't like the way he treated staff. And I had observed that. So when he came there, I said, I'm leaving. And so he, he saw my husband somewhere. And my husband told him that he said to Larry Sr., he said, well, you know, I'm sorry, Harriet's leaving. And he said, oh, she's leaving because of you. And I went to the university. Uh, yeah. That's and what you, you taught. What school was this? Where did you teach? At the university level? I was at, I was in Emporia State. Yeah, no, I, I know that, but oh, everybody okay. else doesn't know that. Okay, I was at so, And what did you teach there? I taught in the preschool, the early education department, mm -hmm. and elementary and early education. So you had to observe some students when they went for their practicums. Oh, yeah. That. I had to put them in practicums and observe them. And, yeah. Schools all over Kansas. It's yeah, big schools. Cities. But the most interesting thing is I had been observing one of my students and it was raining and we were outside. And I said to the, to, you know, to her supervising teacher, I said, her plans didn't talk about the rain and, you know, what's this about? She said, no. So I went back to the, I said, something's different here because we're not dealing with the same person that I've been working with. I went back and they said, oh, we didn't want you to know because we couldn't tell you she has five personalities, but she only has three left. And you've seen all three of them. And I'm going, oh, my God. Well, so, so she had multiple personalities. Some people call it disorder. And she still was functional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very bright. But in, in that particular day, I saw the third person. And the kids, it was second graders. And, and I mean, although it was pouring down rain, those kids were loving it. I would not give her a recommendation to teach in the state of Kansas. You wouldn't? No, I couldn't. You didn't know what she was, because I'm you know, unpredictable. I, and I'm going, and they said, well, you know, we couldn't not let her do student teaching mm -hmm. or, you know, and I said, well, why'd you put me with her? They said, because you would be understanding. I said, well, let me tell you right now. <laughs> oh, wow. You never told me about that. Oh, my God. Uh, we couldn't tell people about yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So you retired from the university. Mm -hmm. When did you retire from there? I, in 2000 and actually in 2000. And yeah. What did you do after that? Start working for your dad. <laughs> I retired because your dad said, you know, can you just come and help me? And I said, not unless you stop buying stuff. Hmm. You know, he had bills like that. And I said, I can get them like that if I could control you. And he said, well, we'll talk about it. Your dad bought everything in threes. I said, why? The only thing you don't have three of is kids and your wife. <laughs> and so, yeah, I didn't know he was getting sick. Yeah. But yeah. So I'm going to back up a little bit. You grew up with six siblings. No. Well, you have six. You had six siblings, but you grew up with two of them. Right. Really. But you, the others were old because the others were They're older. older. Mm -hmm. What was it like having a family that big? Was it because that's a big and that even in those days, it was it wasn't a small family. What was it like to have a family? Well, when my twin brother and I were 
born, my sisters were, my oldest sister is 18 years older than I. Mm -hmm. And they were 18, 17, 16, and 15 years older than us. And my mom did not take care of the older ones. We had a live-in, what they called now, a nanny. Mm-hmm. And so we had to live a nanny until we were five years old, mm-hmm. until my twin brother and I was five years old. And so when we got to be five years old, we left the city and moved to the country. And then we didn't have a nanny anymore. Mom told daddy she wanted to raise us by herself. Mm-hmm. And she did. So uh, it was never like we were, because when we came along, the older ones were, had gone away to college. Mm-hmm. Bobby and Louise. And then Jean had gone, Jean was 16, but she went away to college because she was like gifted and everything. Mm. But she went to Meharry. Of course, when she got out of school, she couldn't get a job because she's she nice. too young. Yeah. She was too young to, <laughs> to be um, a nurse. Yeah. So hello, did your parents, your mother moved, grandma, Essie, moved to Kansas City with Papa Daddy? Where were they living before? Muskogee. They were in Oklahoma and they met there? They met before there, that, but they were in, they met at, at Henrietta. Was it Henrietta? But but they got married, I think, in, in Muskogee. Henrietta, Oklahoma. Uh-huh. They were in Oklahoma. <laughs> and, and so they had, how many, was Papa Daddy's, we called my grandfather Papa Daddy. <laughs> uh, I learned, later found out his name was Irvin. <laughs> But they called him Udabi. Um, in, in, in Black American culture, you could have a lot of names and be the same person. How many siblings did Papa Daddy have? He had two sisters, and I forgot the other one's name. And he had one, two, three brothers. He had a brother named Cecil and one named Phil. But I don't know. I never knew the other brother. Mm. So I think it was five of them. Five of them. And well, then, six with him. With right. that. Uh-huh. And how many? And, and grandma had how many siblings? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'd have to count them on my finger. That list. That was, uh, Cecil. Cecil. Mm. I think mom had. I think mom had. Six, I think she had six siblings. So Douglas, Alice, Inez. Douglas, Alice, and Inez, and Mama, and then Cecil. I don't know. She seems like she had three brothers all together. I don't remember. Douglas was a sister. Just be clear, Douglas is. That's you're named after Douglas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just Alice, Douglas, and Inez, and Mama, and then there were what six. Was that? Mama. Mom, I said, yeah, mom. Your mom. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Cecil was the youngest brother. That's fine. But it seems like there was another one that passed away before we were born. Did you know your grandparents on both sides? I didn't know anything on my dad, mom's side. On your mom's side, or mm-hmm. you... I know my grandmother because I look just like her. Your your. Dad's maternal, mom. yeah. Did she? Did she ever? You you met her? Yes, and she came to Kansas City. What was her name? Um, can't remember right now. Yeah, it'll come back to you. But you never met your your paternal grandfather. No, I never met. Okay, because you were because your parents had you when they were basically. Mama was forty 
three. So that one, Papa Daddy was 44 when he had you almost 42. Yeah, grandma, grandma was about to turn 43 and Papa and Daddy was, was up 40, already 43. Papa it was 44. 44 that year. Oh, yeah. And then, but you never met great grandma Nancy. No. Never. Because she died when mama was 18. That's where my mother left college okay. to go home and take care of her other sibling because her oldest sister had gotten married. And so mom, mom's mother got sick. And uh, so she went home to take care of her. Um, and Ineas. Talk about uh, your mother and your father. I, I remember... One of my early memories of Papa Daddy was that he would go, I knew he would go to a job, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't around him that long to see him at a job, mm -hmm. but I remember he went to a job, but then he always went to the market. That's, those are the two things mm. that I remember that he went, and it was only a short period of time I remember him going to a job, but I remember the market the most. So, so Papa Daddy had a job and a business? No. No. Dad worked, first of all, he worked at the packing house. Mm -hmm. And he then he became a meat inspector for mm -hmm. the, for the meat, packing house. And then the garden, when we moved to the country, our job for me and my sister Nancy and Harold was to get the garden. So mama would get the, dad would plow it, plow the, the garden. And then when he was at work, we would come home from school. We would plant the garden. Mama would tell us what we needed to do. Mm -hmm. And then when the garden got up in the, you know, the spring and the summer, my mother would have, we had to shell the peas. Mm -hmm. Me and Nancy and Harold had to shell the peas before we could go out and do fun stuff. And then we would take that, the produce, mom would have it all, all taken out of the garden. And on Saturdays, they went to the market. Well, when we got old enough to go to college, my mother came up with all this money because the money that we made from the garden, they put in the accounts free for Nancy and Harriet and Harold. They put the money so that we would have tuition for college. Well, so that's so, so in, in modern day terms, your parents' side hustle paid for your education. Well, there wasn't a side hustle. The, to a lot of people, that would be a, to garden and you still have a job. That's a side hustle. Well, my mother didn't have a job. That's she, true. She, home. she didn't even have the nanny anymore. Miss <laughs> Roxy got too mean. Yeah, but Grandma also had other businesses. Yeah. Well, she had other bit. Yeah, she had a floor shop. She opened that when she was in her 80s, though, 70s, 80s. She was 75. And she used to do have a thrift store. Mm-hmm. And she had, she made soap. She was always doing something. Making stuff and selling stuff. And then you have a twin brother. Yes. And so you all ended up splitting to go to school. So you went to Kansas State. He went to Washburn. No, he went to Kansas State. And then Washburn offered him a basketball scholarship. Ah, so that's when he transferred. So the, so the sophomore year, he transferred to, uh, to Washburn and finished at Washburn. Okay. Yeah. And so most, I have two uncles that went to Washburn. I didn't real, I didn't even think about that because Uncle Sacconi went to Washburn yeah, on the sports club, but he was yeah. already, was he, was he still there when Uncle? No, no, he, was no he was already gone. So when you think about 
today and you see, you taught diversity when you were at Emporia. Yeah. What was it like to teach and talk about diversity then? Probably. I I still have, we used to put a, a, a paper on the wall and the students would, one student would write and they would call out, you know, when we dealt with the different race or ethnic group, like Hispanics, and they would write out everything that they knew that, and my classes were 99% white, Mm -hmm. white farm. Mm -hmm. And so, very rural. And so I was looking at that not too long ago, the different names they called, you know, they called Asians, they called you know, uh, Blacks, they called Hispanics, they called Indians, just the names. They were all, I mean, some of the names that uh, that they called different races of people, some of them I hadn't even heard. <laughs> but, you know, when you come from... They were derogatory names? Some of the names were derogatory mm-hmm. names. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not too much different to me in Kansas now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's more appreciation and understanding for diversity, but the way people really feel inside, mm-hmm. it probably hasn't changed that much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it it it's socially correct that when you are in a special, just like you just said, because it's socially correct, I think the kids in these rural places are more likely to to be tolerant. But the deep feeling, and you can see that with, with all these different groups, name groups and things that have come up, they basically, the, the country kids and the country boys, they ain't tame. Yeah. They still, and, and they've had been able to say, they think they can, and they do. I can wear my, my gun open in a restaurant, bringing my four kids in with me. And it's just, it hasn't changed. Mm. You didn't, you know. This is something I talk about a lot. I grew up privileged. I, there wasn't much that I've ever wanted for. So thank you. <laughs> and sometimes it gives me a perspective that makes me a little less able to, like, I just, when something happens and it might be racialized mm-hmm. and somebody does something that I might perceive as racial, mm-hmm. I just don't, it doesn't phase me. Like, I don't get upset about racial stuff at this point in my life. I think mm-hmm. when I was younger, I might have occasionally. Mm-hmm. But now I don't. And I, and I sometimes wonder if that came from my upbringing or just my maturity. And did that, did, did you have that experience where when somebody did something that you perceived as racist, that you just kind of like, were like, hmm, that's stupid. Like, how did you respond to it? Because now I just, I just, it doesn't even... You know, it doesn't occur to me to re- to react to respond to it anymore. My parents, like I said, when things would happen, and I'd say, "Oh, well, he she looked like Nancy," or like, "Oh, she looked like Jean," because those were my light, light, light sisters. Okay, it with red hair. Okay, especially Jean. That could probably pass. Oh, some... Jean did. Yeah. Oh, when Jean was at college in the South, she was always in trouble because she would be when the. They would movie theater. She would be up in the balcony and they'd go up and get her and say, you're not supposed to be up here. And she said, I can be where I want to be, you know, but, and she wasn't trying to pass. She resented her right, color. Right. 
But my parents, because we, there was so much diversity in our upbringing with color, that my mother always said, no, look in the mirror, that, that kind of stuff. They never said to us, then, you know, that person's white, that person's Jewish, that person's this. So you need to, do they never said that to us. They always said you could be as good as you want to be and as bad as you want to be, but we're always going to be here for right. them. And, and they always were. So we never made a big deal about color in our family because color is just color. You can't help how you were born. I mean, you can help who you marry and, and you, and, and you can help how you kind of turn out to be, mm -hmm. but you can't, you know, buy a, Say, I want to be born by these parents and these parents. Yeah, and I want that, to look that's, like that's this. That's a they, divine thing. That yes, I mean, that you can't. I mean, you yeah. can't choose, you know, that. Yeah, so. I'm going to uh, switch to Larry D. Johnson Sr. When did you meet your now deceased late husband? Well, he was hog wild and cool crazy about me. I know that, but that was little, that was when we were old. five years old. He was whole ground. Not cool crazy when he five years old. At five years old, that's what he told oh my, my brother. All right. I thought that he had done that when he was in his twenties. No, 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 no. He did that when he was five years old. Oh wow! So you knew him since you were five, four, four uh -huh. Uh -huh. at the campground. Okay, we, we that's a campground was a church place, mm -hmm. and you but you lived in two different towns. Yeah. He lived in Topeka, and I lived in Kansas City. Okay. And so you all basically saw each other at church events on a regular basis? No, just once a year. Once a year? Mm -hmm. Wow. So yeah. you saw him once a year until you turned, until you went to college? No, I was a teenager. Okay. We got to be teenagers. Then we spent, I would spend a week with either Della's mom, two weeks with Della's mom in the summer, and I would see him at church. And then we went to camp meeting. We had... We stayed at the campground. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. That was, those were the days. I, I got at the, the end of that era that you could <laughs> stay at the, at the summer campgrounds <laughs> that everybody came where we had church in a hundred degree Fahrenheit weather. So you, you all got married in what year now? 1961. 61. And then you had my brother mm -hmm. in 64. Or did we get married in 62? I don't remember all that. Okay. And then, so you had my, you had Larry in 64. You know, didn't I have him in 62? No, because that would make him eight years older than me. Oh, okay. I must have had him in 64. We had him the second year we was married. And so dad was always going to be a mortician. He could. Always. You knew it. He, yeah. He was always going to have his own funeral. He liked that kind of stuff. He, he talked about it when he was young. Mm, yeah, he said he'll live to carry it through. Yeah, he did carry it through. He did. Yeah, he did. Two of them. What do you remember most about him as a business person? Integrity. Huh. Larry would say things like, if I'd say, I, didn't, I wouldn't be bearing nobody else from that family. They didn't pay you the last time. He said, his thing was, if me, then who? And I'll go, what? If not me, then if who? not me, then who? Mm. And I'm going. Mm. <laughs> but you know, my husband loved Topeka. He loved the people in Topeka. I never heard him say one bad thing about anybody in Topeka. Now I did, and I do. And when he died, I said, "This is a business." Um, 
lot of respect. People had a lot of respect uh, for him, not only because he was a businessman, but he was a man of honor. Mm-hmm. And he was very caring to the point. I told him, that woman's too fat. If she falls out at this funeral, don't you pick her up. I mean, he was having back trouble. <laughs> and sometimes the certain ones would just go fall out. If they saw Larry walk in, they'd go fall out. And I'm going, and he would just kneel down and come on, let's, let's, let's get up. Oh, oh. we don't do that no more. You fall out, you're going to be on the floor and tip them a call. Mm-hmm. What is, what is it that you think he would be saying today? Now we're here in Basel, Switzerland. Your son has moved thousands of miles away from the U.S. You're here. What would he say today if he was here? No, I, I would have just come to visit. He would have moved here. Once I was born, that would have been the end of his career in Kansas. I would be doing exactly what I'm doing today, visiting, and he would be here. Wow. So you would have left the, the living with his wife to come with his grandson? Yes. Oh, Okay, well, we would have had a room for him. Right? <laughs> and Kyle would have been in the same oh, room. No, he, no he, would, he would have bought a house or rented a house or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he, there would be no doubt in my <laughs> mind uh, that he would be with his son. Or I would have loved it. It would have been fantastic. And he would have loved Kyle would have been his kind of man. Mm. He's strong <laughs> and self-willed. That's, that's great. So you worked and lived and gained a lot of wisdom if you were talking to young people today, wherever they might be in the world, what advice would you give them? Follow your heart. Really? Yeah. Why? Because sometimes following your heart means it's more difficult. Take your time. You know, I'm not a sensitive person. That's always what I tried to do is to follow my heart. If I, you know, if I prayed about it, thought about it, I have to think about it before I pray about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's just so many young people had not fallen their heart. If you've had somebody in your corner that's cared about you and wanted you to succeed, then you've got a different mindset. Mm-hmm. And so that heart is what brings out the caring, the love the listening, the protecting Mm. of the soul. Mm. I think that's a good departure point for us to stop. (laughs) That's that's something that I think we talk a lot about this diversity thing, but I think a lot of kids, regardless of what their background is, where they Mm -hmm. come from, if they have the kind of support that I was fortunate to have, Mm -hmm. which I sometimes still don't feel like I deserve, you do. Well, thank you. You wouldn't have gotten it if, if I didn't deserve it. it. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'll take that. But I, I, I know it's, it's by that grace that I'm here. So oh, what yeah. you said is, <laughs> is absolutely true. Well, if we hadn't had you, we wouldn't have known what a real kid was supposed oh, to be God. like. We're not going to talk about my brother. And my brother taught me a lot of stuff. He, I know the it. The reason I'm probably here is because my brother taught me to stay out of trouble. Even when I was in trouble, I knew how to get out of it. Yep. Because of him. So, Harriet, thank you. I appreciate it. This is my mother, Dr. Harriet D. Johnson. 
And uh, D stands for Douglas oh. with two S's. Just for all y'all that might not know, as in Frederick Douglas and her auntie Douglas. Um, thank you. And I hope that was helpful to everybody who's tuned in and make it a great day. Peace. If you are committed or simply a little bit curious about how to make DEI accessible to everyone, actionable, that is unambiguously prioritized and sustainable, aligned with personal and organizational purpose, hit the subscribe button. Make it a great day. Peace.